Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blenderhead, Blender HD. You can follow me there on Twitter. And this is the show where we go over last night's slate. We take a little bit peek, sneak peek at today's slate. Obviously, it's kind of it's, it's it's NBA DFS. It's kind of hard to you know, really really cement what you want to do on today's slate at 11 o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, because you never know what's going to happen. Look at last night. I mean, look, come on. If we talked about the slate yesterday at 11 o'clock in the morning, the lineups would look absurdly different than everything else, right? Where's the value? And then by seven, where's the, what, what where value do I not play, right? That's what ends up happening. So we, we discuss a lot of DFS strategy on this show, teaching time, teaching time. I mean, what comes along with teaching time is the people from the YouTube chat. You're you're my people. The people that listen to the podcast later, that you can't show up on time. Well, you don't get your question asked. So if you're, if you're listening on the podcast, hit hit, hit uh, rate and review on, on iTunes. But if you're here live, I see uh, DJ Cicero, Matt Mears, Rob Beer, Jamar Simmons, uh, Kagan Hopkins, and first round exit, Lee Palm, Trey McRae, whole bunch of other people hit the thumbs up on the dummy thumbs hit the dummy thumbs uh just to, to get me apple juice right now we're at the point of not keeping the apple juice cold i just got water it's been it's been snowing here it's snowy and icy we haven't left our house in a couple of days so can't can't go and get more apple juice for me uh but but maybe i don't mind maybe i don't mind in the days since i've had apple juice not had apple juice uh going on a bit of a heater Stocks, stock markets going up for the cash games on my bankroll tracker. Yesterday, clean sweep on DraftKings, FanDuel, Yahoo. So that's four days in a row, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th, the 15th. Clean sweeps across the board. And this is this is just playing 10% of the bankroll. So it was down 8,400, 8, not down, but up 8,400 in total. And just playing 10%, go, now we're up to 17.8K. Right, almost almost double the investment of the starting bankroll, eleven percent ROI, seventeen thousand eight hundred sixty profit. Right, we're in the green fully on DraftKings. We're in the green on all three sites, but above that fifty-five percent kind of you know target win rate to get above, and just just under that on on Yahoo. So, so you can see here you go the V-shaped recovery came back and it's going up, right. Maybe it's the Fed. Maybe maybe it's the Fed that's that's causing my cash games to, you know, the inflation or something. Something's going on. Uh, but but things are going well there. Cause last night, last night was uh it's just like any night. It's 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 crap show, right? What's the point of injury reports, right? Doc Rivers says earlier, you know, two hours before, uh, because Embiid is on the injury reports questionable, and Doc Rivers says, seems fine to me. I don't know, I don't know. I don't see any concerns about him, like as as if he's not the one that puts him on the injury report. And then then half an hour before the game, scratch, back issues, whatever, he's done, right? What's up with that? And then we had uh, Torian Prince. He ended up being out. Drummond is never going to play again, apparently. We got that in the afternoon at some point. Uh, and, and then we got, obviously, the, the Rockets. Rockets red glare. Well, the Rockets red glare. And the, the, well, okay, fine. All the depots out. Fine. We can play wall, right? We'll play wall. And then Gordon and Tucker out. Okay, great. Now we're sitting here with David Nawaba 
and and Daniel House, Jason Tate, and they're all cheap. So so they became value. And then then we got Kawhi sitting. Okay, fine, fine. Now Kawhi sitting. Okay, so uh, Pat Beverly sitting now. Oh, okay, okay, he's resting. And then Nick Batum has a headache. Right? Oh, 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 oh. Nick Batum has a headache. You know, three hours later. So then now it's Lou Williams. It's uh, Reggie Jackson. He played Reggie Jackson. He gets injured in the middle of the game. Uh, then Terrence Mann. He's okay. Uh, and th- and then we got the Bagley started, and Holmes was out. For the for the Kings, and then they started Bagley at center, and then they ended up playing Whiteside a ton after that, right out of the blue. Just okay, we're gonna play Whiteside for God knows how much, and he breaks the slate, right? And people played Serge Ibaka, and he he did had a good first half, and then just just Amir Coffee was playing, right? Coffee was playing above him, so he didn't really get there, and, and then T.J. McConnell. Oh, in the early game, T.J. McConnell starts. T.J. McConnell starts with Brogdon and Sabonis and whatever, and he goes off. We got Nerlens Noel. He was he was he was valued to some extent, and then he gets into foul trouble, right? And then since Embiid doesn't play, then 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 Mike Scott starts, but then Dwight Howard plays more, and then Ben Simmons goes nuts, and Toby Harris goes nuts. Like if you made your lineups at eleven o'clock in the morning yesterday. Like there's no way that whatever lineup you made that didn't come close to cashing, right? Look at these scores. The scores, the scores of the contest were absurd. Four oh five one, and then the box out because I don't have the excellent eight ups. Uh, they're still updating results DB. But I mean, you if you 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 could have scored three hundred and thirty points and just you didn't win anything. Three thirty, get out of here, right? But that's what happens when like. High-owned players and as well as low-owned players all go off. Okay, I'm not going to play David Nwaba. Well, you played Jetty Osmond, and and you, you got plenty of points, right? Oh, I'm not going to play Jay Sean Tate. It's like you could find Hassan White's. I mean, like you could have gotten like 375 points in a multitude of ways yesterday. Like the scores were through the roof because we see here, like even Jimmy Butler put up 65. Right, the high end, the Irving and Harden, they put put up a ton. John Wall had fifty plus points. Westbrook and Beal both had fifty in the in the beginning. It's like, oh, you could have played Westbrook and Beal together. We can't can't do that. Needed Simmons. You needed Harden. Take a look here. Randall put up Randall. We're not even talking about him. He put up sixty four points. He went nuts. Moritz Wagner even as a right thirty two hundred. He puts up almost ten x. So you didn't even you didn't even need. You didn't it like okay. Well, I I I whiffed on not having uh, Jetty Osmond or uh, or or Dwight Howard or no oh, no. I just needed Morris Wagner. Doesn't matter. Kobe for MVP over here. It came in third place even with Cousins and Cousins Cousins had a snowflake because Brogdon had fifty points. Whiteside fifty eight points at three percent owned. Right. Ben Simmons seventy four points at seven percent owned. Here we have Bricks lineup up here. Jared Allen. Okay, he did well. 39 points better on FanDuel. But we take a look here. It's like there's so many different ways that you could have you could have gotten up there. Most likely you had some pieces of the, the, the cheap Rockets, right? But even Terrence Mann for 3,800 put up 28 points. Dwight Howard for 3,600 put up 32 points. Like the, the amount of players that had 8X or more was just, was just ridiculous. I mean, we could even take a look at the, I can't sort by fantasy points. But like, look, I mean, look at this. Look at these scores. 
And there were so many multiple paths to do so and utilizing the late swap. Because it, it was the type of slate where you played the Rockets guys, right? A lot of people played three, four Rockets in their lineup and they did well. So it's like, okay, what? So who's going to do better than them? And then the late value, they, it does better than them, right? So you could have held off. You could have said, I didn't want to play any of the Rockets, right? You could say, I play John Wall, but none of the cheap guys. Or I just play House or just play Nawaba, something like that. And I'll wait for later. Well, if you waited for later, you got rewarded. But also, the Rockets went off also. So if you, if, you, if you took three of those guys, you got rewarded also. So there were multiple ways of getting rewarded. It was just a matter of, of finding the way to fit the value in and your payup options. Because you could have played Wall. You could have played Hard. I mean, Harden put up 72. You pretty much, for a large field, I think you needed a, 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 Harden, a Harden-Simmons combination. I don't even know if you needed Harden. Because like Toby Harris put up 58 points. I mean, obviously white sides there. Sabonis put up 52. He was probably unnecessary on the slate. Kyrie Irving put up 56. Bradley Beal, 57. There were so many combinations that you could have made to get to like 350 points that, you know, dare me to say that if you didn't get 350 points in your lineup, I don't know, I don't know how, how, how did that happen? How did that happen? How did you, how, how do you not get 350 points? Uh, maybe, I guess, play Donovan Mitchell at 8K or something. He only gets 35, I guess, right? Sterling Brown, you know, some people played him. I don't know. You know he only gets 18. Reggie Jackson didn't get there because he got he got hurt. Abaka didn't get there. I guess there were paths. You played Noel on, on DraftKings. He didn't get there. I think Noel as a power forward on FanDuel was fine. Or you played like the McGee. Uh, you did that. Because even look, Marcus Morris put up 42 points. It's not like he was that cheap. He was like 5,200. But now we're getting down to a little bit lower owned players. But like from a high owned perspective, like Cousins. But I mean, you could have won. We saw third place had Cousins in the lineup. You, you could have won with Cousins. You could have gotten a 350 plus point score with Cousins. But if you didn't have Cousins, then you were in much better shape. So many different paths and so many, so many of the top players did so many different things. Late swap, not late swap. Because you could tell, like, someone like Chipotle addict with 68% of Bradley Beal didn't have as much wiggle room. He ended up with 61% Howard to get off because he had already had cousins. So he didn't have as much wiggle room because he locked in Beal early. Like, we could take a look here, like uh, TJ McConnell right here. TJ McConnell, Randall. So these are a lot of early. Royal Payne 21. But he didn't play much Cousins, so there, there was his wiggle room. He was only able to get 27% Osmond. Most, most of the other late swap guys, I mean, you see, not petty theft, 94% Osmond. You don't, you don't roster Osmond pre-lock, right? He was, he did, he, these ownerships don't – 45% ownership. But if it wasn't for the fact that Prince was out and, and Drummond wasn't playing, that Osmond would have been 5% owned, something like that. Right, because you would have played the, the Rockets guys instead of, but he was thirty three hundred. How do you not if he's starting and you know Love is out and, and Nance is out and Drummond's not there? I mean, he's going to play thirty plus minutes and he puts up peripherals. So I mean, I think he was one of, one of the best late late swap options of the entire slate. Right, him. I don't. Lou Williams was, was priced higher. 
I think Reggie Jackson, I think Reggie Jackson was, was a better play than Lou Williams on across all, all sites, except for maybe Yahoo. I think Lou Williams was good fine on Yahoo. You got rewarded with TJ McConnell. He put up seven plus X, right? I mean, like, look, how do you not, how do you not make a lineup of 350 points? How do you not? I'm assuming someone in chat didn't, right? Someone's probably tilted in chat. Looking through the chat, looking through the chat. Ryan Byrne says, at what point do we just expect the unpredictable news? Might have to start anticipating it in GPP. Well, what can you do to prepare for that? I mean, what, what, what exactly are you going to do? When you, it's unpredictable. You don't know who it's going to be or what it's going to entail. We're not talking about people that already have questionable tags, that already have tags, doubtful, who knows? These are just out of the blue, just Nick Batum, I have a headache. I mean, like, how do you predict that? You can't. So, I mean, what are you going to do to prepare? Like, if we take a look at today's slate, I mean, how many, we only have one really late game, right? I mean, look, it's seven o'clock and then one, two, three, four games at eight and then one at 10.30. So what, what, what preparation do you do? Most likely we find out news about these eight o'clock games before lock anyway. Yesterday we had three 10 o'clock games. We had a nine o'clock game. More of the slate was pushed back, but now what? We have Brooklyn Phoenix, that's it. What are we going to expect? What what unexpected thing? The unexpected thing would be like Booker or Paul setting or Aiton or one of those guys. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But so what, what are you going to do to pre- pre- prepare? I'm just going to act like that. And then you get there and then it doesn't happen most of the time. Then you're just sitting there going, why am I playing these guys? Right? Why am I playing Frank Kaminsky? Why am I playing Javon Carter or Langston Galloway? Like that, that makes no sense. So I don't know. I don't know how you sp- how you're supposed to plan for unpredictability other than in the back of your mind going, maybe I won't play as many lineups with like four rockets in it, just in case. Maybe something opens up for one slot. But to just say like, screw it, I'm not gonna play, I'm not gonna play, and I'm not gonna play anyone from any of these games. I mean, like, what are you gonna do? Denver, Boston comes up, right? Cause we're gonna get some value today for Denver, right? Cause we have uh, Barton's out, Harris is out, Dozier's out. Uh, now Millsap is out. So you have Michael Porter, J. Michael Green, those types of guys, and they'll be in the first game. But I mean, what what are we what are we prepping for? For Giannis to sit? Like after lock, what are we prepping for after lock? Like if we knew Giannis was sitting or something, we'd probably know before seven o'clock. Or the Pelicans, like for Zion is, I don't know, missing. Like what's gonna happen? Towns is gonna sit, some I mean, who knows? Lillard has a headache. What are we supposed to do to prepare? On today's slate, especially where the games aren't that far apart other than one game. So I don't know how you, how you, how you replicate that like in your process like every day. Other than you, you think of optionality, you weigh it. Oh, maybe something does happen. But it's, to me, it's only a small percentage weighed in your head. I'm looking to just build. If every game started on time right now at the same time, what, what lineup should I build? Like start with that. And then go, well, what if, what if this, what if that? But to start from the what if just seems like the backwards way of like, you're just assuming chaos. You're just assuming, but you don't even know where the chaos is. So you prep for the chaos. We talked about this yesterday on the show with James. Because then you don't know where the, what positions, what salary ranges, you have no idea. So what are you going to do? Just going to skip out on anyone in the, in the early half of the half of the windows? And then just 
play the late slate, right? right? Just do that instead. Just understand it's more unpredictable. Yes, yes, it's higher variance this season. I get it. It doesn't mean you have to throw out your entire process that you would normally do just because, oh, there's, there, there's always value late. Well, there's always value. Sometimes there's not. And sometimes there is and it doesn't get there. So what does it matter? Let's see, go through the YouTube chat. Hit that thumbs up button, dummy thumbs. Let's see. Let's see, people are talking about just actual basketball. Free copyright music. Can you explain how you made your cash lineups last night? I'll explain it right now. That's how I did, I'll show you exactly how I did it here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for for today's slate, for instance. It's a very very easy process. You want me to explain exactly how I do my cash lineup? It's very simple. It's extremely simple. It's so simple that it's ridiculous. Here's our 7, 10 a.m. projections. I'm gonna reload just in case. This is algorithmic, so like no one's no one no one had, no one's woken up to like adjust usage rates or anything. So don't even go by this. You can get the projections. The premium NBA projections with, uh, you know, these cool cats, right? Not the top shot cool cats, but these cool cats and two people that are missing from here. I don't know. This is from last year. They should update this. They should, Alan and Bob Reeves, Alan Lem and Bob Reeves should be somewhere, somewhere here. Give them credit somewhere. I think that there may even be more that I don't even know. But they make the projections. And this is the model here. So you get that as part of a premium subscription. Click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. So let's say I'm, I want to build a cash lineup for tonight's slate. Okay. I'll take you through the process. Right. It's a very, a very simple process, extremely simple process. I go to the lineup preview and I click the button optimize and then I play that lineup. There you go. You're done. Because this is going to be, this is the knapsack problem. This is going to solve the knapsack problem. Just like what's the top median projected lineup? See, 280.37. And these are the players that are in it. Here's one that's 280.15. Here's one that's 280.05. All of these would be fine. You can, if you want, if you like this lineup better, then play that lineup. They're all very highly projected median lineups. They don't take into account ownership. They don't take into account the standard deviation of the players. They're just basically just solving the math problem of here's the median projections and how do I jam as much of that number for 50K in salary with these positional constraints. And then I just diversify my action across all three sites. Like that's what this is. That's what all of this is. So I'm taking the projections that get updated throughout the day. So that's why this doesn't matter right now. That's all I do, done. Everything in the projection, everything in basketball, all the basketball information is all reflected in the numbers. Right, every all the matchups, all the totals, all the offensive and defensive efficiency metrics, all that type of stuff. It's all distilled into a range of outcomes. Damien Lillard, 38.76 to 74.82, median 53.83. It's all done for me. So now for cash games, I'm looking to jam as much median as, as possible for as lower variance that I could get. And many of the times it's going to be like, what's what's the, how do I do it? How do I jam it in? How do I solve that math problem? Well, there you go. I solved it. Done. Enter. You're done. 
it's a math problem. DFS is a math game. So if, if I if I could profit off of the inefficiency of double ups and head to head fields and everything like that, and let other people make mistakes, and I trust the model and I trust Jamino's model and I trust the projections team. There you go. It's all distilled into numbers. So just jam them in and. Over the course of the season, you can take a look right here. You're going to have ups and downs. You're not going to win. Your goal is to win over 55% of the time. That's your goal. You can win over 55% of slates. You're a profitable player because the effective rate is typically around 10%. Right. If you're you're playing, some of them are 12%. I I stay away from those like multi-entry double ups. But some are as low as 7%. Higher stakes, 50-50s, higher stakes head-to-heads, 50-50 lobby, the 11-mans, the 20-mans, there's a 9%. So figuring around the 10% effective rate, because some of the double-ups are 11% rate. So if you average it all out to about 10%, that means you'll have to win 55% of the time to break even on average. Well, the head-to-heads obviously depends on who you play. So that's why, you know, I'm up even... Under, you know, at the 55%, I'm up, you know, 4% ROI, 2,700. Yeah, because good contest selection. So you could, that you don't have to hit 55%, but that's the goal, to hit 55%. So you're not going to win every day. Look, take a look at this graph. You may win, look, two days in a row. And it's just a little up, a little down, a little up, a little down, a little up, a little down, down two days in a row, and then up four days in a row, right? So you get, you get ebbs and curves, ebbs and flows and whatever. The goal is to just have a repeatable process that you do. And at the end of the season, how much did you make or lost? So I'm playing it as a math game. I play, I, my cash game now are purely math based math and diversification. I treat it like a stock, stock portfolio, like a stock, not even a portfolio, like, like an actual, well, kind of like a portfolio. Like I have this stock. I'm going to play cash games like this. Now I have to go out and diversify. That's why I play three different sites. That's why on each site, I play 200, 300 different contests, multiple multiple head-to-heads, double-up types, contest select. Fine, go into the non-guaranteed lobby. Find the 20-man 50-50s that have a little lower rate. Find three-mans that have someone, some random person that, that you've never seen before. Okay, they're probably worse than you. They're random that you've never seen before. So that's what, that's what I'm doing for cash games. So there's no, there's no thought behind it. Everything outside, all, all my other time is spent on GPP lineups. On GPP, uh, how do I get leverage here? What are more people going to do there? When I'm playing this way, like I have no care for ownership. I have no care for match. I have no care for nothing. I don't need to, I don't need to research anything. I don't need to do nothing. Just like, I just, I'm just, whatever the math is, whatever the math says, whatever the projections team says, that's what I play. That's it. They can allocate the minutes. And the usage, they, they know more about basketball than I do on the, on the edges. I know the basic stuff. Yeah, of course. Oh, this guy's out. This guy's probably going to shoot more. I mean, like, it's not, it's not complicated. But at what rate exactly? I have no idea. 12%, 15%. I don't know. How much of an increase do I give? I don't know. I outsource the stuff that I'm less good at. I could build my own model, right? But Jamina could do it better than me. Why should I spend the next three years trying to build a lot a model as good as his? I can't. So why why even why even bother? I just use it. It's 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 
What are you talking about? This is daily fantasy sports. I thought it's about, about, I thought it's about the love of the game, about the love of the game. No, to me, it's about making money. I've always said that that's my perspective. To me, this is if if, if this if this game was free, I would not be on. You would not know who I am. I would not, I have never played. I would not play DFF, DFS if it wasn't for money to make money. I wouldn't even watch most of these sports if it wasn't for DFS. I'd watch soccer, sure. Maybe watch the Super Bowl, maybe, maybe. So I always want to make that clear. Like when so when you ask me, like, what do I do? Like I come from the perspective that this is an investment. I play DFS to make money. There's some other game came up and it was, a, was some, for something else or whatever, right? I'm the type of person that ha- would count cards in a casino. I mean, the same same type of same type of mentality. Yeah, it's fun to play. Sure, it's nice. I'm in my pajamas. I get to do these shows, right? I talk to you people on YouTube, giving me the thummy thumbs. Get to you know, on Twitter, you know, write some jokes or whatever. Hang out. Sweat some games at night, make some lineups. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Most of the time, at the end of the year, you make more money. But I mean, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's fun. It's fun to do. It's better than, you know, sitting in an office doing the work that you don't want to do. But at the end of the day, it's about making money. So like everything everything that, that, that I talk about comes to maximizing profit and minimizing risk. That's it. Let's see. Going through the YouTube chat, which I always have to scroll down and then I have to scroll back up. Let's see. Contest selection question from Jupocalypse. If you could play double ups in the lower one to $3 stakes, which I can't on DraftKings, would you play the 23 mans or would you still stay around the 62 mans and up? Yeah, the bigger the fields, the better. I play the 62, but I don't even like playing the 23 mans. I, I traditionally don't play the 23 mans in the in the five dollar and above. The only 23 mans I end up playing are the ones that are like lock very close to like lock time, like the late ones, like the ones six a half an hour before, where you get maybe some late people in, some maybe some overlay, right? Because sometimes you know a minute to lock and it's like six of 23. It's like this thing ain't filling at 23, so maybe it fills 20 of 23. Okay, that's a kind of a rake-free contest now. But yeah, the, the, I look like 62 mans, 124 mans, anything that's single entry and as big of a field as possible. You want you want it as diverse of an opponent, diverse opponents as you could get in in your in your allocation. And obviously, the the single entry 124 man is more likely to have you know 10, 12 schmucks in it than than on the 23 man that. Could be you and twenty-two of the sharpest players in the lobby. And really, what what the rake wins in that scenario? But it depends on how much volume that you're that you're looking to put in. If I just looked for the the, the edges that were the biggest, I'd barely have any volume, so not as much raw money. Be like, oh, I can only find one hundred fifty dollars worth of worth of insane EV volume. It's like, yeah, an insane edge would be seventy percent. Edge on someone else, 70. That's that's a big edge, 75% for 150 bucks. That's that maybe you get a 30% return, which is ridiculous. Expected return on 150, but that's 45 dollars. Yeah, but if I could I could play three thousand dollars worth of volume and only have a 10% f- 
expected return, that's 300 bucks. So like, yes, individually inside of my allocation for the slate, there may be some contests where the edge is minimal, if anything. But I need to, I need to, I need to pick and choose. If you have a smaller bankroll, you could, you're much, much more likely to be picky, right? You could, you could find a hundred, you could find a hundred dollars worth of volume in the DK lobby against weaker fields. If you, if you look for it, if you're vigilant and it, and it'll, and it'll do a bit, it'll, trust me over the course of a year, if you do it that way, it'll make a difference. Let's see. Free copyright music says the late swap is slightly hard to figure out regarding who to replace a certain player. Would it be based off of teams playing each other, same position value? It's whatever affects the minutes and the usage, right? Kawhi, Kawhi sits on the Clippers. He's someone, okay, so that's like 34 minutes out of the rotation and a ton of usage, right? He's like a 28 to 30% usage player. So what, the usage has to go somewhere. So who's on the court now? Well, Lou Williams did come in. So now you can have a starting lineup of Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams. I don't, I don't know. Nick Batum. What? Marcus Morris and Nabaka or something like that. Oh, now, well, now Beverly's out. Oh, okay, now Man's in. Oh, well, Batum's out. Now, who, now who's playing? Right? Who's going to be on the court together? So where does the usage go? But obviously in the second unit, guys come in and close games. So you have to allocate that minutes and usage to other people. That's what our projections team does. Now you could think logically, you could think logically go, well, if Kawhi's out and Bat Bev's out and Batum's out and you take a look at the starting five, I mean, take a look at Osman yesterday. It's 3,300 and he started for, for Torian Prince. He's have to get, so he has to get a lot more minutes now. He was originally protected, projected for like, maybe 24 minutes out of the second unit. And now he's going to be playing like 34 to 36 minutes with the first unit. Usage may go down a little, but his minutes go way up. That's stuff that the, that's stuff that the projections team will do. You, if you're doing your own projections, that, that's what you're doing. Allocating minutes and usage, assist rates, rebound rates, depending on who's on the court, right? You take Drummond off the court for the Cavaliers. Everyone else's rebound rate should go up, right? Because he eats rebounds. Let's say Gobert was out. Well, everyone on the Jazz's rebound rate will go up. Naturally, someone has to rebound the ball, right? So that's what you'd be doing. Fortunately, if you sign up for Roto-Grinders, we do that for you, right? We have Court IQ. You could look that up, right? There's a tool. If you don't even want to wait for the projections, the projections will, will deal with that as it is. But if you go to Court IQ, you could do it's an on-off tool. So let's say yesterday. Let's say we go. Well, yesterday's a kind of special case for, for the Clippers. I don't even know if there's a sample size for it. But let's go to the Rockets. Like what happened with the Rockets? Oh, let, let's do the late swap type of thing. So we're 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 going to uh uh the Cavs. Okay, so there we're, we'll do we do the Cavs? Do we do the Clippers? Let, let's look okay, at let's let's stick with the Clippers. So I'm going to do the Clippers. I'm going to take George and Kawhi off. Just them. I know other people were out. So you could run the query. 
and you could see how many minutes together did that this season did this happen and who gets boosted marcus morris gets a boost patrick beverly gets a boost serge Ibaka gets a boost lou williams gets a boost canard even gets a little boost but there's not much sample size there so you could see that so it's like okay show me just the stats of all the players with these two guys off the court well now we have to take off batum Where's Batum? There we go. Batum. We have to also take off Patrick Beverly from the query. Is there a situation where that exists? Oh, there's still, there's, okay, there's some minutes, right? You take a look here, 29% usage for Lou Williams, 27 for Marcus Morris, 25% for Serge Ibaka. Their fantasy points per minute goes up. Terrence Mann gets a bunch of minutes, but not much usage, but still 0.75 fantasy points per minute. And then you can take a look here. Who gets the biggest bumps? Marcus Morris, Serge Ibaka. Williams Williams doesn't get a bump fantasy points per minute wise, but he gets minutes. He gets more minutes than he used to have. Right? So you could do this. This is a tool, premium tool. Sign up for Roto-Grinders. $10 off your first month. Click on the link in the description. But all of this type of factors all related into, into the projections. So like what for a late swap scenario, what would happen is that we'd get the news that Kawhi's sitting, Beverly's sitting for rest, Batum has a headache. And then they use this type of information and update the projections. And then you see a little orange, orange notification up here that says, ah, this guy's projections changed. You refresh your browser and there you go. It's done for you. All the math is done for you. All that that work is done for you. That's what I do. Like I said before, like common sense in that Clippers situation makes sense. Yes. Lou Willie's going to get more minutes. The usage is going to be for anyone on the court. Marcus Morris, Abaka. They're going to get a bump. Yes, I get it. So you could play those guys. Or you can wait for the projections to update. Give it, give it five more minutes. And they'll do the work for you. They'll put a new range of outcomes, a new all, all the new stats, all the simulation stuff that comes out, and there you go. And you could judge it from there, right? Some guy's projection goes from 38 to 43. Oh, okay. That's what I do. Like I, like I said before, DFS is a math game. I just need it. I just need all of the basketball stuff related into numbers. Once you're related into numbers to me, I could build lineups. So I don't even have to know. I don't have to go to this court IQ. I don't even have to go there. It's going to be done for me. I don't even have to know basketball. I don't even have to know who these players are. I don't even have to know. I mean, I do. I play NBA DFS every year. You pay your common sense. You know how everything works out. But the for the to the exact single digit? No, I just wait I, the projections will update. There you go. If you're building your own model, this is what you'd have to do. Input new minutes, usage, assist rates, rebound rates, figure out what the rotation is going to be. Most pot, most probably. You may not be correct there. That's what you'd be doing. I simplify everything. 
The more simple that I can make it and the, and the more profitable I am by making it simple, the more simple I'm, I'm going to make it even simpler. I really, I, I try, I try to distill DFS down into its simplest terms so that I could do the least amount of work for the most amount of money or some, uh, some equilibrium of that. Oh, you could put in eight more hours of work and only get an extra 1% ROI. Well, maybe I don't put in the eight hours of work for the extra 1%. If I'm already getting 12% assets by doing a half an hour worth of work. Let's see. Going through the YouTube chat. Can you build lineups based on ceiling projections instead of median projections? You can. It's not going to change all that much. Right. Some players' standard deviations are a little bit different, but it's only going to matter by a point or two, which is in which is within the realm of, of barely in, of variance to this much. So to me, it doesn't matter all that much. You, you could. I don't think it's if you want to do it. If you don't, don't. It doesn't to me, it doesn't matter. Ownership to me matters more than if you're doing median or ceiling. You're gonna get pro- you can get probably you can get about the same amount, same type of lineups. Certain players may come slightly above others because they have slightly higher ceilings. So if you if you're building 150 lineups and you you don't want to think about it, maybe then you do ceiling projections. But most of the time you're building you're thinking in terms of lineups as it is, and you're comparing lineups relatively to one another. So the difference of one point. As long as I'm doing it across the board, doesn't matter. What does it? What does it matter to me? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be relating them lineup to lineup as it is. So if the top lineup is 280 and the next ceiling projections, the top lineup is whatever the hell it would be, 422. It's, it's it's practically the same ratio. So I don't think I don't think it makes much of a difference. Oh, let's see. Uh, people are answering each other's questions, which is fine. Let's see. John Moxley asks, can you explain what a plus EV lineup is? And I mean, that's, that's everything that you do in DFS. You might as well just take my course, theoryofdfs.com. Like I'd need 15 hours to explain that. Plus EV means that positive expected value, that the lineup that you're playing has more of a shot at winning money than compared to the probability of that lineup and the other lineups in the contest. So your goal is to make a lineup that stands, in GBPs, you're aiming for the top spots. In double ups, you're aiming for the middle. But a lineup that has more equity in the top spots than other lineups in the contest. Because if we take a look at, let's say a thousand person contest, doesn't matter, single entry, whatever. If everyone was equal, if there was no rake, let's take rake away from it. It's a thousand person contest. If everyone was equal, everyone was equally skilled. Everyone could make the same, the lineup that they make has the same expected value as everyone else's lineup. How often would you win that GPP? One out of every thousand contests. So if you bet a dollar a thousand times, and it, let's say it was winner take all for a thousand bucks, 
on average, you'd play a thousand times, lose 999 times and win once. You know what would happen after all that? You'd break even, yep. right? Everyone has the same EV. Every expected value would be zero, neutral. Now let's say out of all the players, everyone else is equal except for you. You're slightly better. You could build a lineup that wins instead of one out of every thousand times, one out of every 800 times. Well, now you're put, now that's plus EV. After 5,000 contests, you're going to have more money than the other 999 people because you have a lineup that's 20% better than everyone else's. Now, expand that out. You have a lineup that's 20% better than everyone else's, but someone else has a lineup that's 25% better than everyone else's. Someone has a lineup at the bottom that's like 50% worse, right? It's one of those lineups where, oh my God, you left an, you left an Oladipo in your lineup yesterday? Like one of those types of lineups. The EV of that lineup is very, very low. So your goal is to build higher expected value lineups than other people in your contest. In the lower stakes, you have lesser skilled players. In the higher stakes, you tend to have higher skilled players. So if you're playing an 800-man contest in the higher stakes, the average expected value of that lineup, strength of that lineup is going to be higher. So a lineup that would be plus EV in an 800-man contest at the dollar level may actually be unprofitable, minus EV in higher stakes because there's less people that make mistakes. And at the lower stakes, there may be more dead lineups. So that's what expected, that's what an expected value lineup is. Now, if you're wondering what the hell is expected value, well, that's you got to look that up. You got to learn that. That's the this expected value as a concept. You don't necessarily need to know the full math formula. You have to start taking calculus classes or something. But just the concept of what expected value is, EV, is is a must concept. Is a must. If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna be playing DFS, if you're gonna be sports betting, anything with what I mean, truthfully, it's it's, it's for anything in life, any type of finance, stock market, anything. If you don't get what EV is, like you're done. You you must understand the concept of expected value. It's an entire chapter in my course, but you could look it up yourself. Like these, I didn't make up these things. Expected value is not something that I made up. Right. So go look. Oh, Google expected value. Go on YouTube. Watch some videos. When it, especially when it relates to, to, to wagering. A lot of times you, you look on YouTube for expected value, you get a lot of like math formulas. But it's when, it's when you get paid out more than the probability of it happening. If you're getting paid 10 to 1 on a coin flip, you take it every, every single time. It's 50-50. You're getting paid it as if it's like 10 to 1. Let's see. Going through the YouTube chat. Feel free to type any questions. I mean, what, what can we talk about today for today's slate? Who knows? If you play Lillard, who knows? Maybe he sits. Who knows? What's the point? The first injury report doesn't come out to 1.30, and does that matter? Seems like injury reports should be in the fiction section of the bookstores, if there were bookstores. 
Just put them in. What does it matter what it says? It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't. People that aren't on the injury report end up being out. People go from doubtful to in to a late scratch. People go from nothing to out, from doubtful to playing, to a re- other, oh, he's most likely resting. Nope, he's playing after lock. I mean, like people getting scratched, like, oh, he's perfectly, he's perfectly fine. And then 10 minutes after lock of that game, nope, he's not playing. Or mysteriously DNP, right? What happened to that guy? Well, he, he just ain't playing. I mean, <laughs> so what's the point? That's why I like talking about strategy. We could use today's slate as an example. But as far as like what the lineup construction is going to be, who knows? Let's see. There are tutorial. Yeah, Peter Delia asks, is there a tutorial on how to late swap in lineup HQ? I've been doing it manually, which sucks when you have 150 lineups. Yeah. There, there, there are tutorials on the Roto Grinders YouTube channel on Lineup HQ. If you click, you could always click on Lineup HQ, this little question mark right here, right? Search video library and it has all the little tutorials. And then in, pre, in the premium section of the video page, like I've done Squirrel Patrol and Brit and STL cards. There's tons of like, this is how we use Lineup HQ type of stuff from different sports. So you could just take a look, take a look at all that. Let's see. Sam Grant asks, for a guy like Randall, if you have him projected higher than Sabonis, but know he's lower owned, do you still play him in cash games? If you just go by the math, sure. If you want to lower your variance, you take the higher own player. Even if if they project very similarly, like let's say you had to choose between Randall and Sabonis and they were the same price or something. And Randall projected, uh, let's see. Uh, Sabon, uh, Randall projected one point higher, but Randall was going to be like 10% owned in cash games and Sabonis was going to be 60% owned in cash games. Like, yes, you have him projected one point higher. If we played out this slate a thousand times, Randall would be the better option by this much. That's it, just this much. You're not going to play it out a thousand times. So do you want to try to get this much edge? It's fine if you're going to be playing a lot of contests. If you're playing long-term, this this type of edge could add up. So what's your risk tolerance? If you want to reduce your risk, but you're also reducing that edge, you play Sabonis. You say, what's the difference of one point? Screw it. Everyone else is playing Sabonis here. I'm going to just play Sabonis. For the difference of one point in median, screw it. Let me t- just, let, I don't want to get burned, right? I don't want my entire slate reliant on Sabonis versus Randall. You, you could do that. That's lowering your risk. But from an EV perspective, you'd, pl- you'd play the higher projected guy. So you have to balance that out. You have to make that decision. Me personally, I don't make that decision at all. I just, whatever the highest rejected thing is, that's what I do. But I'm playing three sites and I'm playing the long, I'm playing the long game. I look at that and go, if Randall puts up 30 and Sabonis puts up 60 and I lose, 
that's just the way it happens. Tomorrow's another day. Just, I'm, just look, I'm just looking. Like I said here, if you take a look at this graph, like look at look at a downswing here, look at a downswing there. Look at, you know, it goes up and down, right? On a downswing, do I just, like how would I have even known that? Imagine I started on the 22nd of December and I just woke up today. I have no idea what happened, no idea, nothing. I have no idea what went on. You said, well, in your cash game play after seven weeks, you're up seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000. You know what I say? Sounds good to me. Even though, well, at one point you had a $6,000 downswing. At one point you had a $4,000 down, who cares? Show me at the end of the year. Show me at the end of the season. So if you're if you're playing within your within your bankroll, you have to decide whether or not it's worth exploiting small edges or smoothing out your returns. Some people, for peace of mind, would rather just lower their variance, which is fine. I'm playing within my means, so I don't I don't care. But yes, if I was concerned, I would I would pl- I would play the higher own guy if the projection was very fractionally off from one another because that, that's the fragility of projections. Who says that you're right? Your projections may have Randall one point higher than Sabonis and the consensus is in, in, any, in the better models that Sabonis is 0.2 points higher than Randall and that's why he's more owned. You have to determine your risk tolerance when doing that. Let's see. Mike B, do you have your favorite snack you eat while making lineups? Not really. Pop, maybe a Pop-Tart? Maybe. I have Pop-Tarts sometimes. Most of the time I'm not eating. How could you eat at a time like this? How could, how could you eat while building lineups? Usually I eat once once it locks. That's that, now it's eating time. All right, once seven o'clock comes, okay, now, now, now I could eat something. I still have to be at the computer because you never know what the hell's going to happen. Then, then now your hands are free. Now, what, 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 what am I doing now? Now I have my hands free. I can chomp on whatever the hell I want. Debo Miggs asks, do you do anything NBA DFS related from noon to 4 p.m.? Not much. <laughs> I pay attention. I mean... A lot of times I'm doing content. I'm recording the, the Theory of DFS podcast today. I do a soccer podcast on Thursdays. So, I mean, there's there's work stuff that I do to some extent. For, but for the most part, I'm I'm checking Twitter. I'm like, oh, okay, Daniel Tice is out today. Oh, okay. In my head, oh, okay, what's going to happen there? Tristan Thompson, maybe Grant Williams, something, something like that. Ojale may start. Who knows? Right? It's in my head. It's percolating. But other than that, no. What's there to do? Is there anything to do? What's there to be? Everything's going to be reflected in the projections. So what, what, what work do I have to do? I'll listen to stuff. I'll listen to shows. I listen to Grinders Live, right? That comes on tonight, 5.30 on YouTube. Hit the notification bell to know when it goes live. I listen to listen to Roto Grinders shows. I read Noto's Grind Down. I read Meansy's Core Plays. Eric's. Factors article blog, but I, I look at the stuff. 
casually. Other than that, all I, all I need are the numbers. So no, I have, a, I have a very leisurely afternoon most of the time. And then by 5.30, 6 o'clock, then it's just light speed and chaos. So you have to prepare. FF Assassin asked, uh, don't cash games basically come down to who is using the most accurate projections if everyone is using the optimal lineup based on whatever projection source they use? Pretty much. There's a lot of variance in that. I mean, that's not how a projection model is, is, is weighed accurately. It's that's not measured that way by just whatever eight players show, show up in, in a knapsack problem. No. But yeah, that's essentially what you're doing. But not everyone does that. So until the point that everyone does that, if I could if I could profit by just doing that, then why the hell not? Until it's a fit, until there's an efficient market, then I'll worry about it from there. Then then now you now you now you have some game theory con concepts and ramifications. Right? Everyone was using projections, which everyone doesn't. And cash games were all just, you know, just all battles of projections. Now, now there's value in, in now there's value in deviating. But until then, I'm 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 gonna do whatever gives me the most amount of money for the least amount of risk. That's that's the name of the game for me. Is, is it as fun? I don't know. What do you consider fun? Depends on what you consider fun. Some people don't view the way that I play DFS, how a lot of top players play DFS, most. Top players play DFS to be fun. Well, it's not about the sport. It's not about basketball. Yeah. Boo-hoo. Find out how it's not about basketball. Fine. Be let it be all about basketball. And then see, see me three years from now when you're broke. It's a math game. Making money is fun. Right. That's right. Sam Deal. Making money is fun. Right. Debo Mig says, basically, most of us spend too much time on stuff that doesn't matter. That's absolutely correct. I only spend time on the stuff that matters. And more the more that I figure out what doesn't matter, the more money I make. The more time I could spend on other things, right? Playing on multiple sides. Like, oh, how do you manage all the multiple? Well, once I start eliminating stuff that really doesn't matter, I could do more stuff, right? Get into other sports. Well, I could play this the afternoon slate. I could play this in this sport. What doesn't matter here? Well, now, now I have much more efficient time in order to make money. Of course, Super Proopy says math is extremely overrated. That's perfectly fine. People say that there's no edge anymore in DFS. And that's the reason why there still is. So uh, hit the thumbs up button on the way out. Let hit the thumbs up button to get to, to. We need to thaw out some of the ice here, so I could go out and get some apple juice. Okay, so if you want to help the ice here in Louisville, thaw out. Hit the thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live, which is what what I do every weekday morning. Every weekday morning. Some people ask about the weekends. It's just weekdays, Monday through Friday. 11 o'clock a.m. in the Eastern time. 
for the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com. Thank <laughs> you.